You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Church, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 10, verse 22. <laughs> John 10, verse 22. We'll look at that in just a moment. Uh, there's a story told of a monastery in Portugal that sits high up on a cliff. It's on a 3,000 foot cliff. And the last two or 300 feet uh, of that cliff can only be accessible by this rope system, rope and pulley system, where literal men pull a basket of three people uh, at a time up to the top of the cliff. And of course, tourists can go see this. And one time this, uh, this tourist was getting kind of nervous. You know, he's halfway up, he's 100 feet in the air, and, uh, and he's you know, looking to kind of calm his own nerves. So he, he asked the monk that's in the, the basket with him, he says, hey, uh, this rope seems you know, pretty old and, and frayed, don't you think? He says, oh, no, 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 rope is good. Rope is good, good rope. I said, okay. He wasn't quite assured yet, so he said, well, uh, it's kind of a small rope to be hauling three adults to the top of this cliff, don't you think? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. Rope is strong, strong rope. Strong rope. Well, he, he was getting a little, you know, a little calmer, a little less anxious. And finally he said, uh, well, uh, just for sake of conversation, how often do you change the rope? He goes, oh, we change the rope whenever it breaks. <laughs> and, and that's how some of us view our own salvation, right? If we can just make it to heaven before we do anything else stupid on earth, Right? We'll be good. God, just, just, get, just get me in the gates. Right? That's kind of how we view salvation sometimes, just hanging on by a thread. And that is not the case at all because, friend, you're going to do something else stupid. That's what's going to happen. You're going to sin again. So where can our assurance be? And so today, I want to preach on really a hybrid doctrine. Uh, you know it as eternal security. But I'm going to preach on eternal enduring security. Followers of Christ have a security system that's better than ADT or Brinks. Is Brinks still a security system? <laughs> or simply safe, there's a new one, all right? But we have 100% assurance, or we can have 100% assurance of our salvation according to the Word of God. This differentiates us from most all other world religions. You know, the whole book of 1 John is written so that we might know. 1 John 5.13, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. Not that you get to the pearly gates and wonder, well, I hope he lets me in. I've been a pretty good guy today. Pretty, been, pretty you know, went to church this morning. There's more to it than that, all right? And before we get started on this path, I want to say for, for centuries now, there have been several uh, ways of viewing this traditional doctrine of once saved, always saved. All right, and the two main camps are the perseverance of the saints. That kind of has to do with tulip and Calvinism, and then the preservation of the saints. But today I'm going to kind of combine the two because they both had truths wound up in them. And without getting into any unnecessary theological argument, someone paraphrased, paraphrased uh, summarized and paraphrased in one word, paraphrased. All right, uh, they summarized this this way: perseverance emphasizes the Christian enduring through God's power and preservation emphasizes the Christian secure right here by God's promise. 
All right, so a persevering uh, follower of Christ will endure to the end by God's power. And a preserved follower of Christ is secure where they're at to the end by God's promise. So persevering is more about destination, you know, holding on the faith until Christ returns. And preservation is more about location, being secure where I'm at right now. Saving faith will endure till death or till Christ returns. Whatever life's trials or temptation uh, throws, you know, comes at us, saving faith will make it through. But saving faith is also secure wherever it's at right now. Wherever I've ended up, my location's secure. This is not like a shootout in a movie where a guy's in a bad location, right? He finds himself in a bad location, so he's got to move. He's got to run and get behind some other rock or shelf or something, or those bulletproof wooden tables you always see, right? Right? So I believe in many ways both camps are correct. Our faith remains because our God sustains. And that's really what we're going to talk about. True believers will endure, and they, while they endure, they are already secure. And it's actually the securing that helps with the enduring, knowing that you're secure. But the purpose of today's message, just so everyone's clear, is to talk about the doctrine, kind of a doctrine in a day, the doctrine of once saved, always saved. So let's start with one of my favorite passages for explaining this doctrine. It's John chapter 10, verse 22. And this is a short passage, so why don't we stand in honor of God's word. John 10, 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. These were just a bunch of, just the hallways around the temple. So the Jews uh, gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now I'm going to ask Annie Lusby, soon to be Annie Sturgis, as of May 21st, to come up here and ask God's blessings on his word today, but I also want to kind of prematurely thank all those who have helped with her shower. Uh, the, we're having a luncheon and a shower, wedding shower for her in the gym right after the services today. And I want to thank those that have helped with that. Annie. Good morning, church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just humble ourselves before you this morning, God, in your presence, um, knowing that as believers in you, God, we never left your presence. And so just as we've been worshiping you this morning, God, open our hearts to receive the word that you have for us this morning. May we be sheep that are of you, God, and that we hear your word and we believe in your word, God, and that it gives us a peace and an understanding and encouragement and ultimately a challenge this morning, God. Um, as we leave today, just different than we walked in these doors. Um, God, and I just also pray that if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you this morning, God, that um, you will just pierce their heart, God, and that um, they know who they are and that they know that, that you are calling them to you. And so, God, may we not neglect that there's a word for us here today, for everyone in this room, and that you are here um, and we are here to receive you. And so we are just so thankful for you and we're so thankful for your love that you sent Jesus to die for us, God, and that we get this opportunity to enter into your praise and your worship, God. Um, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. 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 Thank you, Annie. Y'all can be seated. Y'all may have heard of the uh, the manager who had who was over all these different sales regions, and uh, one of his sales reps wasn't performing very well. So he calls the sales rep into his office, and he had one of those old school maps on his wall. These maps were, you know, uh, kind of colored out by regions, and they had a little thumbtack in there, different colored thumbtacks to represent each sales manager. Uh, that, that was over that region. So he called one of the sales ma managers in who wasn't performing very well, a guy named Gary. And he said, Gary, uh, you, you see this map and there's your region. And he said, yes, sir. And he said, you know, you've not been performing real well. And he said, that's right. And so he reached up in, in front of Gary in his office. He grabbed that tack that was Gary's tack. It represented his region. And he said, Gary, I'm not going to fire you. I'm just going to loosen your tack just a little bit so you can understand the insecurity of your situation. <laughs> but that's how some of us think God is toward us. You know, you sin and then God's just going to loosen your tack just a little bit. Y'all ever feel, feel like your tack's about to fall off God's map? All right. All right. And that is not the case. And that's why uh, we're studying this doctrine today. It's easy to think because God's all powerful that he wields that power in the same way men do. You know, he's trying to intimidate us uh, with feelings of insecurity, right? He'll, he'll loosen our pen and boy, that'll keep us on our toes and we'll serve him more fervently and sacrificially if he, he does that. And that's not the case. Because right now, friend, if you are a follower of Christ, you are as secure in your location, current location, as you are in your future destination. And to prove that, we're going to break down our passage today into seven statements, all right? Seven steps, or we could call these seven assurances unlocked by seven occurrences. And assurance number one, if you're taking notes, is sheep believe in Jesus. I know that sounds rudimentary, but it's true. John 10, 26 says, um, but you do not believe, I'm getting a little feedback up here, Hunter. But you do not believe you are, uh, because you are not among my sheep. So we deduce <laughs> that uh, simple assurance is that sheep believe. Now, uh, friend, let me just ask you, do you believe? Not that Jesus is truly the Savior of the world, but that Jesus is actually your Savior. Do you believe Jesus is your Savior? Because that belief alone is assurance number one. John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Belief or faith in Jesus is a fundamental necessity of every born again follower of Christ. Romans 4 verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, which is a direct quote from Genesis 15 verse 6, right? Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. You work, you cut the grass, you get paid. That's a due. That's not your salvation, friend. Verse 5 Romans 4, verse 5, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count 
his sin. Is that not why we sing? (laughs) Because we're not going to have our sins counted against us. So what does it mean to believe? Right? James 2.19 says even the demons believe and tremble, but they're definitely not going to heaven. The Bible says that hell's prepared for Satan and his demons. So they believe. What's the difference in our belief? We need to define the object of our belief, and the Gospel of John does. The word believe is found 85 times in his Gospel. And I want to give you five parts, kind of a summary of this particular belief. Saving faith, number one, is believing in the scriptures. John 2.22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. John 5, verse 46, for if you believed Moses, he's talking about the Bible, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words. So you got to believe the scripture in order to believe. Saving faith involves believing the scriptures because that's where we get the information about salvation. Number two, saving faith is believing we must repent of our sin. Now, this is strange to me here. In Mark's gospel and in, in all in the three other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, but in it, it talks about repenting and believing. All right. But the word repentance or repent or repented, none of those words are found in John's gospel. And so people, you know, theologues throw a hissy fit about this. You know, see there, you don't have to repent. Well, actually, I think it actually means more about repentance because John equates repentance to belief. The kind of belief that is in, in Jesus is the kind of belief that's already repented. They go hand in hand because if you believe Jesus is the Lord who saves, it means you've changed your mind about your sin and yourself, which is repentance, turning around, turning from sin and self to the Savior. And, uh, MacArthur said, it's, it is true that John does not use the word repentance, but as we have observed elsewhere, our Lord also didn't use the word grace. Repentance is woven into the very fabric of the Gospel of John, though the word itself is never employed. In the account of Nicodemus, for example, repentance was clearly suggested in Jesus' command to be born again. John 3, verse 3 through 7. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well did repent. We see her actions in in verses like uh, verses 28 and 29. And so there is proof of repentance even in the Gospel of John. Number three, saving faith is believing in Jesus as God's only sinless sacrificial son. Y'all, most of you know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Number four, saving faith is believing that God will condemn unbelievers. It's not condemning unbelievers, it's believing that God will condemn other believers. John 3. 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You can't just think that people believe in Jesus are going to heaven, but there is no hell. Well, I'm going to heaven, that's my religion, but you have your religion and it'll get you there too. No, friend, it will not. You have to understand the judgment of God to understand the grace of God. It is no grace (laughs) without judgment. Number five, saving faith is believing that Jesus and this is the last one I'll mention here, gives me new life. John 20, verse 31 says, but these are written so that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Some of you don't feel like you have life. You know, you feel like your faith is under fire. The late uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul said, who was a great scholar, except I disagree with him on infant baptism. But he says, uh, he's noted that uh, it's not enough to merely believe in God. We must also believe God. Not just in him, but him. Which means that we believe not only that he exists and can do what he says, but that he will do what he says. This is the kind of faith that pleases God. Justifying faith believes that God will do what he says and will declare us righteous in Christ. That means declaring you sinner without sin. Sin will not go into heaven. I hope y'all understand this. Not one sin will ever enter into heaven. Right? The one time sin happened there, it was cast out. That's why hell was created, because of that sin of the devil wanting to overtake the Lord's place. So how will I get into heaven if I'm a sinner? I've got to have the righteousness of Christ. I've got to have his white robe put on me. Sproul says it thus carries with it a degree of assurance that his promises are true and reliable. So if assurance number one is sheep believe in Jesus, then what is occurrence number one, right? Every assurance is assisted by an occurrence. And here that occurrence is confess your belief. (laughs) You don't know if you're saved, repent and believe. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Belief in his name unlocks the assurance of faith. Assurance number two, sheep hear his voice. John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. And this wasn't the first time that John said this. There are multiple verses in John about this. John 5, 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. John 8, 47, whoever is of God listen church, hears the words of God. The reasons why you do not hear them is that you, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And here's the thing, here's the comforting part of all this. John even goes on to say that God helps us remember the things we've heard, right? Because we're forgetful people. John 14, 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Isaiah 30, verse 21, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. You hear that? God's word is behind us, guiding us in the way we should go if we'll hear him. John 10, 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So why in the world would people not hear God? Well, Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 6, verse 10, Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. Remember, we talked about last week, it's not enough to avoid God's word. You have to attack it. You can't rest on avoiding. 
There's too much truth there to build the bridge over. So you've got to attack. And Jeremiah says they call it an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Jeremiah also says he doesn't leave us doom and gloom. He says in Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me, God says, I will answer you and I'll tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. So church, listen, hear him. Mark 4, 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured to you and still more will be added. It's the picture of Romans 1 to me that has that picture of the sun going down. If you'll respond to the light you have, God will get you more light and help open your understanding to his word. But you have to respond somewhere. You have to believe. You have to start. You have to hear. So if assurance number two is sheep hear his voice, what is occurrence number two? Listen, thank you. <laughs> Listen to God via the three uh, S's, right? The scripture, the spirit, and the saints. That's how God brings his truth to us. Assurance number three, sheep are known by the shepherd. John 10, verse 27, I know them. I don't know if I ever did get a tattoo, I think I'd get known. I'm known. I don't need a tattoo to tell me. I've got God's word a little deeper than a tattoo. More permanent ink. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 3. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Do you understand that? Do you ever just try to take that thought in that you're known by him? 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal, this seal, like a ring with wax dripped on it and pressed in. What is the seal? It says in 2 Timothy 2, 19, the Lord knows those who are his and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. The ESV says of this seal, having this seal, the twofold inscription that follows emphasizes divine sovereignty, that's persevering, and number two, human responsibility. I'm sorry, divine sovereignty is preserving, that preserves us where we're at, that gives us peace where I'm sitting right now, but then the human responsibility is persevering through the trials, through the temptations. While some believers may have apostatized, that just means left faith, so-called, Paul finds assurance in the fact that God knows those who are his. At the same time, those who claim to be the Lord's must demonstrate this as they depart from iniquity. Friend, the fact that we're known by God gives us the strength and assurance to obey God's word. Being known by the Father helps us own our faith. So if assurance number three is sheep are known by the shepherd, what is the occurrence that unlocks that? Resting in knowing that he knows me. That's not like pie in the sky. That's a real thing. That rest. The gospel, there's a song I was listening to on the way to church this morning. The gospel is rest. Oh, how I need it. The gospel is rest to your soul. You can rest right now knowing that you are known by God. He knows you. Believing in Christ, hearing him speak, being known by him, these are all encouraging and enabling truths to strengthen and assure us in our faith and our actions. Number four, assurance number four. Sheep follow the shepherd, right? John 10, 27. They follow me. 
Jesus said this, uh, John said this back in John 8 verse 12, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that is the assurance number four, follow and live, right? And he's helping you follow. By the way, every one of these seven assurances has God helping us with it. Right? He doesn't just say, okay, I got this half, you get that half. He's got all of it. He's got all halves. Right? He's helping. Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This is not the picture of some absent-minded husband who gets out of the truck, leaves his wife there to get the kids and the lawn chairs out while he heads to the game. Right? She's in tow with all the kids and he's oblivious. 20 feet out in front of him. I am rebuking some of you men. <laughs> this is a leader who assures us that he is worth following. Right? Mark 8 verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. Lest we think that following is any different than believing. Right? Just like believing, the, the object and method of belief matters, so the same with following, right? How do we define following? Because God defines following as self-denial, not self-worship. God defines following as cross-bearing, right? Not prosperity gospel. That's how God defines it. So are you a follower of Christ? Are you prepared to take up your cross and follow him? If you are, then you'll be assured of your salvation. I promise. God promises. So if assurance number four is sheep follow the shepherd, what is occurrence number four? Leaving our nets to follow him. And obviously nobody in this room probably makes a living off fishing other than Rodney Perkins. I don't know if he fishes to weld or welds to fish, but he does a lot of fishing. But what are the nets that you need to leave? What are the thing, what is the thing that you're holding on to that you won't let go of, that you know you must let go of in order to follow Christ fully? There is something. I don't know what it is. If it's a relationship, if it's a job, if it's, if it's money, if it's, I don't know what it is. But I promise you this, you're holding on to something. If you're having doubts of your salvation, it's usually something that you're not letting go of. And the, the disciples left their nets. You need to leave it with the Lord. Assurance number five, sheep are given eternal life. John 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life. Now hold up just a second. If Jesus gives eternal life, then why do I need to try? Why do I need to repent? Why do I need to believe? Why do I need to follow? I mean, even Ezekiel 36 verse 26 says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my ways. So why try? Well, because that's not the only verse in the Bible, <laughs> right? Acts 17 verse 30 is clear. It, it's where God says he commands all people everywhere to repent. So yes, we are commanded to repent, but it's also a gift. I know, I know it's a paradox. Deal with it. All right, it's in the word. 2 Timothy 2, 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance. 
leading to the knowledge of the truth. So we pray for a heart of repentance. We may not feel bad about a sin, so we pray, God, help me to understand my sin and the depth of it and the wickedness of it so that I can turn from it, right? Romans 2, verse 4, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Lest someone think that God's some divine heavenly puppet master who just, you know, puts you on like a glove and makes you do things like a robot. That's not true. You also have a will given to you by God. But his kindness, his patience with you is meant to lead you to that repentance. So even when you do repent, it's only because of God. You understand? So we wouldn't be given eternal life without his kindness and we, we owe none of our salvation to ourselves. We are given eternal life, but we still must repent and believe. But the assurance rests in the fact that the gift is given, not earned. So you can't unearn it because you didn't earn it. If I gave you a million dollars, if I had a million bucks on me right now and I were to give that to you, and you said, oh, well, thanks so much, Pastor. Um, and you reached into your pocket or your purse and you dug out some lint and, uh, and some change and a couple of stuck together Tic Tacs, right? <laughs> or maybe an old cough drop that was left in a coat from last year, right? And you said, hey, thank you, Pastor. Here, take this. This will say thank you. Thank you. Wouldn't that, does that not sound crazy? That sounds crazy, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds crazy. Are y'all with me? We're all on the same page here. This is crazy. All right, crazy talk, all right? Friend, it's not just crazy. It's insulting. It's insulting. That's why Paul says, all your righteousness is like filthy rags. Actually, Paul says it's like, it's like cow dung. It's like manure. And I think the word he used might have been a little more intense, but I don't want to make any of you cringe today, all right? That's what it's like. That's what your righteousness is like. And when you try to pay or earn this assurance you want so bad, you're insulting God. You're not just crazy. You're insulting him. When you confess your sins, I know Satan's there trying to make you not be convinced of his forgiveness. But if you need to psych yourself up for the game, let this truth do it. Assurance number five, if it's sheep are given eternal life, then what's occurrence number five? Open the gift. Open it. Open it with faith. Do you accept the gift? Don't leave it sitting there. Open it. For Pete's sake, if you don't open it, I'm going, I can't open it for you. It's not my gift. You got to open it. I would if I could. Paul says I would if I could, but I can't, so I won't. So you got to do it. Assurance number six, sheep never perish. John 10, 28, they will never perish. Now, of course, our bodies die and our souls do not. We are absolutely immortal. That's, that's not some Marvel Comics idea. That's born again Christian reality. You, every soul in here is immortal. <laughs> in Romans 7, Paul goes on a bipolar tirade about his own wickedness. Well, I want to do this, but I don't. He just goes nuts. And in Romans 8, uh, Romans 7 verse 22 he says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? A page later, Paul writes these words, Romans 8, 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? 
It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? You going to condemn me? You can't because Paul says Christ Jesus is the one who died. You didn't die for me. You weren't perfect. You couldn't have died. Even if you did give your life for me, it wouldn't forgive my sin. Only Christ could die. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, danger or sword? Verse 37, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Church, you will never perish. When you die, your soul will slip right into the presence of the Lord according to God's word. And because God has conquered and gifted you eternal life, we are more than conquerors through him. I am so tired of pansy faith. Aren't you? Wimpy little whiny, excuse-making, victimized faith. Get it out of here. During the initial construction of the Golden Gate Bridge, there were no safety devices used. And some of you are like, yeah, that's where men, real men did it. No, that was not good because 23 people fell off and died. All right. And so for the latter part of the project, they installed a big safety net under the bridge as a precaution. Now, 10 more went on to fall off, but they didn't die. They were, they escaped certain death because of the safety net. What's even more interesting is that 25% more work was accomplished after the net was installed. Why? Because the workers had the assurance of their safety. And they were free to work without fear. They were free to work as hard as they could because they knew they were safe. Come on, church. Is that not how we should serve? We serve in safety. We don't serve in fear. We fear the Lord and His wrath. We, we, we need to pursue righteous living, but not for salvation. We are already safe. So if assurance number six is sheep never perish, what is occurrence number six? Run. Run with fearless faith. Crawl up those scalpling, <laughs> crawl up that bridge, put those rivets in, Right? Believing in Christ, hearing Him speak, being known by Him, following Him, opening the gift of eternal life, and understanding we will never perish are all assurances with occurrences that help unlock them. But one of the clearest, uh, most calming assurances I've saved for last here, and so did John. John says assurance number seven, sheep cannot be taken. John 10 verse 28, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Right? You just picture those two almighty parts of the Trinity. By the way, all parts of the Trinity are holding you in their grasp. Y'all, if, if a dad throws his kid on his shoulders, now the, the kid's only two or three years old. He can't swim, right? He's barely two feet tall. But he throws him up on his shoulder and he wades down into the shallow end of the pool. Now, this pool's only five feet deep at the deep end, but in the shallow end, it's, you know, it's just three feet deep. And he wades in there and the kid's having fun and, and laughing, you know, and they're splashing, he's, dad's splashing the water up on him. But then the dad starts to ease down into the deep end, right? And the kid starts screaming and clawing the dad's eyeballs out like, ah, you know. 
Do you know why he does that? Because he doesn't understand that every part of that pool will kill him. He can't swim. He's not tall enough to walk. He will drown. So the only thing safe is not the height or depth of the water. It's the shoulders that he's sitting on that makes him safe. And friend, y'all, we encounter all these sins and these trials, and we think, oh, we're in the shallow end, we're in the deep end. No, friend. <laughs> it doesn't matter which end you're in. You're going to drown either side of that pool. You've got to be on the shoulders of Christ. Sheep cannot be taken. Church, listen. I know some of you feel out of your depth. You feel like you've sinned too much for God to still call you his child. Don't insult him any longer. Rest in the assurance of God. If assurance number seven is sheep cannot be taken, what is occurrence number seven? Live and serve with peace in the security of the Father's grip. Not a death grip, a life grip. All right? I'm going to close with this. John Bunyan once said, to be saved is to be preserved in the faith to the end. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Matthew 24, 13. Not that perseverance is an accident in Christianity or a thing performed by human industry. They that are saved are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. 1 Peter 1, 3-6. But perseverance is absolutely necessary to the complete saving of the soul. He that goeth to the sea with the purpose of arriving at Spain cannot arrive there if he be drowned by the way. Wherefore, perseverance is absolutely necessary to the saving of the soul. So the preservation, I'm safe where I'm at because of the promises of God. And perseverance, I'm safe where I'm going because of the power of God. And friend, if you're a born-again believer, you got both. Amen? Won't you stand? Uh, Father God, we love you. We love your doctrine. We love your truth. We love your scripture. And uh, we rest in it today. Not in our own thoughts, our powers, our efforts. We rest in you. We know we need to repent. We know we need to re believe and follow. And, but God, would you help burn these seven assurances into our souls so that we could run, so we could finish the bridge, so to speak, God, that we would work and serve you diligently and faithfully and fearlessly because we're already secure in you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that has not trusted in you, that they would call on the name of the Lord. I mean, what a beautiful passage about the peace and joy found and security found in Jesus. You are our lighthouse. You are our salvation. You are our hiding place. And so, Father, I pray if someone's here and doesn't know you, they'd call on the name of the Lord and be saved. I also pray if there's people here that need to uh, find this church as their home been visiting and they need to uh, sign up so to speak to serve and and get to work through the local church it is your will for us to serve through the local church and i pray every believer in this church would serve here in some capacity for you and use their gifts for your glory i ask it in jesus name amen This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.